y'all doing? You know, I'm good. Thank you. I am. I've been contemplating, thinking, dwelling on uh, the subject we're going to talk about this morning for a while. Um, We've been doing a series for those that that may be here for the first time or new. We've been doing a series on giving and uh, giving our time, giving our energy. This week we're going to talk about giving our resources, uh, material goods, you know, money, giving our money. Um, and I've been thinking about this a lot. Why? Number one, you know, one of the things that we have talked about several times uh, among the pastors and in conversations, I've had different conversations with individuals here, is how many of the members of this congregation have an incredible spirit of giving? How many people are aware where there's a ministry that we support in Kenya, Kenya Ministry Training Institute, and they, they teach and train pastors, and I've been told repeatedly by Larry Neese, the international director, that this congregation has sponsored more pastors there than any other church that he has, by far, multiples more. And yet we're nowhere near the largest congregation. He's got other congregations that do incredible things in, in their giving, but you know, such a, a big footprint in the world that can happen when when we open up and follow the principles of Scripture, the laws of the nature of the kingdom of God. And so it's, it's from that perspective I'm wanting us to hear this this morning. This isn't a message that's meant to guilt, to shame, or to manipulate anybody. It's a message that's meant to cause us to stop and examine our hearts and ask us, do we think like Jesus thinks? Do we think like Jesus thinks? Why? Because, uh, first of all, giving is this. Giving is the posture of love. Giving is what love looks like. You know, we know the scriptures, right? For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. Okay? Uh, Romans. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will we also, not also with him, graciously give all things? He's, the posture of love is give. It's what love looks like. Love looks like giving. Um. And, and the, one of the things that we do is we think about the commands of Scripture and we think of them prescriptively. We think of them like they're duties. Like somehow, if I do this, I get a blessing for doing it. Or if I do this, um, uh, I get favor from God, I merit something. When, when that's a wrong way to think about the commands of Scripture. The commands of Scripture exude from the character and nature of God. They demonstrate the nature of God. And there is a way that the kingdom of God operates. It operates in life, love, and light. And when we operate according to the principles of Scripture, we are operating in light, love, and life. And when we reject that, we are, re- we are walking in delusion, we're walking in deception, we're walking in darkness, we're walking in fear. So it's important not just to do something, it's important to understand what the, what the way the kingdom of God operates because we are meant to be the kingdom of God in this world. That's why we learn these things. That's why we study these things. You see, for 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul says what? The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. I would submit to you, that's an unbeliever at any level. You can be a believer and an unbeliever at the same time. 
What do I mean by that? You can, you can place your faith in your heart in Jesus Christ and not walk by all of his word, in which case then you're an unbeliever in that place. You see, but what, the, we, we're, we're, um, what does the world say? The world says that we're to follow our heart. Follow your heart, right? Anybody ever watch The Voice? Anybody willing to admit they've ever watched The Voice? All right, so I, we, my daughter and I used to watch it, you know, a bunch when she was back home. And now I don't really watch the show, but I like to watch clips on YouTube. And one of the things that hits me as I'm watching it, you know, the, the, if anybody doesn't know what it is, there's like four judges and somebody stands up and sings. And then the judges turn around. The judges fight over whose team this person gets to be on if they've turned around. One of the things I've heard from the judges over and over and over again when they're fighting is they'll tell the person, follow your heart, follow your heart, follow your heart, follow your heart. Can I tell you what the problem with that is? The Bible says that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all things. It is sick, and who can understand it? So we need something outside of our heart that can direct us out of that deceit, out of blindness, into what is true in order to operate in the kingdom of God. And, and I would submit to you that giving detoxifies the heart. It detoxifies the heart. This is um, uh, evangelist Philip Mantofa. I, I found this. I, I'll just say God led me to it. I've never heard of this guy before, but I love this quote. The heart's detoxification could be done by showing love, serving, giving, and sharing. Not only money, we could also give our time and attention. Those are the three subjects that we've been preaching on. Our time, our attention, our energy, and our money, our resources. When we give, it detoxifies us. It gets the world out of us, and we demonstrate the position or the posture of love. Because that's who God is. All right, so... God's ways are not our ways. My, uh, um, my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are than the earth, so my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. Well, he wrote this in Jeremiah. What's God saying here? We have to purposely and intentionally think about God's ways differently. We have to purposely and intentionally change how we think so that we think like Jesus if we are going to be in the kingdom of God. So that's my goal this morning. My goal this morning is that we begin to think about these things from a little bit different perspective. That we understand that giving isn't just to support ministries, isn't just to make us feel better, but there's something about the kingdom of God in this. Um, so... Uh, and, and there's tons of ways when we look at this, right? You know, we say, we say seeing is believing. God says believing is seeing, right? And I could go through a whole list of things. I'm not, well, I'll say this. We say how blessed it is when we receive. God says true blessing comes when we give. All right, you know, we, we talked about this. I'm gonna invite people. We, are, we do services. We're getting ready to start back up doing services in the local correctional facility here in Harris County. Though, uh, we need volunteers. I've got a few people to volunteer. I need men and women, both. But what I've heard from the volunteers over and over and over again, oh, we're so much more blessed going in and what we do than, we, than, than they are. It's so much more blessing that comes out of it. All right. So now when we look at specifically giving resources, there's a dilemma that we have in the Bible. There's a dilemma. And I, I love this. This is from... Uh, neither poverty nor riches, a biblical theology of material possessions, Dr. Craig Blumberg. I'm going to highly recommend that book. 
I'm going to recommend that book. Um, it's one of the best books that really gives us a theology of giving. That's a commercial. It's not part of the message. But I, it, we don't often get a really good theology of giving. And that book does an amazing job. Uh, I, I've learned a lot from it. I haven't even read it cover to cover. I've just read sections of it and it just blows my mind and what, what I've covered off of it. All right. He brings up two points. Point number one. Um, Material possessions are a good gift from God meant for his people to enjoy. I mean, you know, God wants us to enjoy this world. Oh, nobody. Interesting. That's something we need to learn right away. God says this is good. This is a good creation. If we aren't flourishing in it, how can we help someone else flourish? If you are not seeking to flourish in this world, how in the world can you help someone else? Poverty in the scriptures is not a good thing. Otherwise, why in the world would he give? What are you giving for if poverty is a good thing? Oh, they're already blessed. They've got poverty. This, so we, the scripture teaches at a baseline that it is good to own property. By the way, that is not our culture. It's rapidly moving in the direction. It says private ownership of property is wrong. I don't know how people know that. But to, 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 to seek flourishing in this world is a good thing. But there's another principle in the Bible. Material processions are one of the primary means of turning human hearts away from God. So we have this dilemma. On the one side, we're meant to flourish. On the other side, it's one of the primary ways we are turned away from God. So how do we balance the two? Where is it, where's the reconciliation between the two? And I would say this. The reconciliation between the two comes in this. The grace of giving. The grace of giving. How can we be owners of private property responsible to meet our own needs and recognize that it is God who provides all things to us? The grace of of giving the grace of giving listen to how paul says this but since you excel in everything in faith in speech in knowledge in complete earnestness in love how many things those are good things to excel in as a christian i think it's good to excel in faith knowledge speech earnestness love see that you excel in the grace of giving Notice what he calls it. It's a grace. It is a grace in our lives just like everything else. So what we're going to talk about this morning is three things. How do we develop that grace? Because it's so important for us to have it. Number two, to whom should we give? And number three, how much should we give? We're going to really meddle, aren't we? All right. Now all y'all are hoping I won't get to that third part, and then I'll have too much before then. Oh, he'll have way too much. We won't get there. Unless I just skip right to that one to start. Four million dollars. <laughs> That's right. See, we already know. There we go. Uh, I'll bring pa Pastor Zeke up. He can give the conclusion. We're done. He'll tell you how to text. All right. So how do we develop the grace of giving? So there are multiple ways. There are several ways. We give ourselves to the Lord. We recognize that we are stewards. We give freely without compulsion. We give abundantly and we guard our heart. We give ourselves to the Lord. We recognize that we are only stewards. We give freely without compulsion. We give abundantly and we guard our heart. That's how we develop the grace of giving. We give ourselves to the Lord. So 
this is in 2 Corinthians. Paul's writing to the Corinthians. He's talking about the Macedonians. He said, look, for a, for a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. He's like, look, these guys were going through massive affliction. They had, they, they had extreme poverty, and yet there was this abundance of generosity. What do I mean? Verse 3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. There, there, was, there, were, there, was, um, there was a famine going on, and there were people who were needing relief. And these Macedonians had all kinds of affliction going on in their own life. They had their own deprivation going on in their life. And they heard about Paul taking up an offering to help them. And they said, oh, we have got to help. We have got to help. Will you let us help? Pled earnestly with him to do this. And he's like, I, I, it was blowing him away. He says, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. You see, that is the posture of love. That is the posture of love. When you give yourself to the Lord, you say, and, and someone else is in need, you're like, well, how can I help? How can I help? Number one, they give themselves to the Lord. Number two, they recognize we are only stewards. So, this is written in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, uh, Paul, I mean, uh, um, Moses is talking to the Israelites. He says, now look, he says, you come into the promised land. He says, when you've eaten and you're full and you've built houses and you live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, and then your hearts be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He says, beware lest you say in my heart, your, my power and my hand have gotten me this wealth. How many of us think that? Well, I mean, come on. It's my hard work. I mean, you know, I spent years, you know, I went to school and I did this. Or I spent years doing this. And I put all this effort in. I got up early. I work late. I work weekends. I sacrificed this. Come on. Read the next verse. Let me find it. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to you in the fathers night day. Let me put it to you this way. This is what, this is what God's saying. So you did all of it, did you? Okay, so when, when you were created, and you were going down that conveyor belt of creation, and I, oh, I'll take one of those, Lord. I'll take that brain there. I'll take those hands there. I'll take that skill there. I'll take that ability there. Did you do that? Are you Mr. Potato Head and you decided what parts go on there? And even if you did do that, where did those parts come from? The only reason we're here is because God created us. There is absolutely nothing that we can do, say, act, if it hadn't been that God created us to do it. The first thing I need to do in the grace of giving is understand that I give in myself to the Lord. The second thing I read to realize is everything I have comes from Him. Even my ability to do and earn comes from Him. First, second, first Corinthians 4 2. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Faithful. Which means then everything I have, I'm a steward of. It doesn't belong to me, it belonged to God. God gave it to me, and I am to steward it on His behalf. Luke 16, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. 
Did you not know that what you've been given is actually a test? Everything you've been given is a test. God gave it to you to see what you're going to do with it. It's over and over in the New Testament. Jesus tells us this multiple times. This shouldn't be a surprise to any of us. Why? We're a steward. Why? Further on, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God in money. You have to pick one. We are to work to earn, but not to serve. We're to work to earn that we might give, the Bible tells us. All right, number three. We're free, give freely without compulsion with a glad heart. Give freely without compulsion with a glad heart. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. So, I mean, it's literally like this. This is the, the words that Paul's using. Okay, you, you got your offering, and there's the offering plate. You go, <laughs> this is so cool. I get to do this. <laughs> That's what the words actually mean. So, okay, right now, who wants to give with cheerfully? No, look, it's an attitude of the heart. It's like, wow, we, God, I am so blessed in an opportunity to be able to bless someone else. That should bring joy to your life. There's no compulsion. Nobody is sitting here saying, okay, open it up. Where is it? You know, we're not holding the plate in front of you. No, 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 a little more. No, that's not enough. Keep going. No, no, no. Well, I'll get you next week. There's no compulsion. Number three, goes along with the next one, give abundantly. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that he will reap. This is a principle. The kingdom of God operates on this principle. You will reap what you sow. Don't be deceived. Just because it looks like someone else is not reaping it or someone else is reaping from acting like the world, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The point is this. This is the point. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Jesus says it in, in Luke. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Anybody want a teaspoon? Or a backhoe? Oh, that's cool. Look, this is, this is what it's saying. It's not saying that God is a magic genie, and we rub the magic genie, and there's a magic math formula. I'm going to give 10. Oh, no, I should expect on the other side a, a, fi- a 100 to pop out. Or I'm going to give this, and I should expect that. That's not what it's saying here. What it's saying is there is a principle in which the kingdom of God operates just like nature operates with gravity. No matter how many times I pick this up, and I'm going to do that one. Don't do this. How many times I pick this up and drop it, It's going to fall unless something stops it. No matter how many times I do this, this is going to happen. Why? It's it's not prescriptive. It describes nature. That's what the scripture's saying. Giving describes the kingdom of God. And when we give abundantly, when we give joyfully, when we give as a steward, we are literally describing what it means to look like God. It is the posture of love. All right, last one in in how to develop the grace is guarding your heart. Guarding your heart. So, uh, I'm going to jump down to Hebrews 13. It says this. It says, keep your life free from the love of money 
and be content with what you have. For he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. To guard your heart, we have to be content. Contentment is great gain, Paul tells us. James 3, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. What does the world tell us? Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You go after it. You be ambitious. And the Bible says where you do that, there's disorder in every vile practice. Be on guard for jealousy and selfish ambition. Look, that doesn't mean that we don't use our efforts to be fruitful and a good steward. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is if I'm trying to promote me, Okay, let me put it this way. Um, I was listening to a, a, a beautiful, I mean, I was watching this documentary about the Celtic church, and there's this revival going on up there, and this worship leader was doing an amazing job, and, and he, they played him playing one of the songs. And somebody came up to him and says, man, why aren't you out there making records? Why aren't you out there chasing after this? He said, well, he said, look, I'm, I'm not, I'm, when I say this, this is not an indictment about anybody else who does that. It's just that, when I did that, I had a hard time because the only way I could be successful is if I promoted me. And I don't do this for me. I do it for God. Be on guard for jealousy and selfish ambition. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth or rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor... Must nor wrath... I cannot say that scripture. I don't think I've ever said it straight. There's, look, there's moths and there's rust, and they destroy. But there is none in heaven. If you put a treasure on earth, those things will get it. If you put it in heaven, they won't get it. And then it says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart is guard your heart what do you treasure you want to know what you treasure look at your bank account how do you spend your money somebody told me one time i asked him i said you want to know what we believe he says i don't need to know you don't need to tell me i'll just watch you for about six months i'll know exactly what you believe what you believe in what you say it's what you do guard your heart and it says this, it says, look, it says the lamp is the, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, the whole body is full of light. If the eye is bad, the whole body is full of darkness. If the light is darkness, how great in you, how great is the darkness? It's a Hebrew idiom. It's not talking about what you look at. Look, that's a good sermon about what you put your eyes on. Great sermon. Not what that verse means. It's a Hebrew idiom. It means this. Person with bright eyes, a, light, a lamp in their eye, light, means they are a giving, charitable person. A person with a dark eye means they're greedy and stingy. And it says, if you're greedy and stingy, the darkness in you is great. This is all one teaching. Don't lay up for your trails of treasure on earth. Lay up your trails you're in heaven. But have a giving eye, not a greedy heart. And then what's he say right after that? No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other. He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Guard your heart. So the first thing we should do is develop the grace. How do we get the grace? I don't remember. I should have put them together here. Give yourself to the Lord. Very good. Seven points right there. Give yourself to the Lord. Recognize that we are students. Give freely. Give abundantly. And guard your heart. All right, now who should we give to? Who should we give to? Um, these are very simple. The scripture tells us exactly, exactly 
Number one, to our congregations. Where does it tell us that? First Timothy 5. Let the elders who rule well be, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Galatians 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. It comes to, it comes to the congregation. Look, you know, a lot of people go, well, that's self-satisfying. Here you are preaching, saying, I'm not telling you to give to me. I'm telling you to give to the Lord. I, I, I'm telling you. As the Lord is my witness, I, I said this to him a long time ago, I will never make money a requirement for me to preach the word of God. It's not to my benefit that this gets shared with you. This is to your benefit to operate in the principles of God. The fact of the matter, this church can't survive if people don't give. I mean, it's just a fact. No organization can. But I'm not saying this because I want something from you. I made that commitment a long time ago. Number two, to the widows and the fatherless, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. Who says they have a pure and undefiled religion? To visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep one unstained from the world. Paul writes it to Timothy. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who truly are widows. We are to take care of those who, are, who do not have widows and orphans. Number three, to those in, in need in the household of faith. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Galatians. And then to those in need who are strangers. Matthew, give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse one who, who would borrow from you. Give to everyone who begs from you. From the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. As, as, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. So who do we give to? The point is, is that when some, we are to represent God, who did Jesus turn away? Only those who turned away from him. And even them he died for. He turns no one away who will come to him. You see, I've been here. I've been here. I've been in that place when I've had somebody come up to me and they've asked me for something. And I'm going, well, I don't know if you're trying to scam me. I don't know if you're trying to, I don't know what you're going to do with this. No, I'm not giving. And then walk away. Not in guilt, not in shame. But in conviction, is it up to me to decide what they do with it? If the Lord brings somebody to me? Look, you need to use discernment. You need to use wisdom. But don't use fear. Don't use fear. Don't be guilted. Don't be manipulated. Don't use fear. Have a heart of giving. Mercy triumphs over judgment, the Bible says. All right. How much should we give? I got here. Open up your checkbooks. Write the balance of your account. Tear it off and drop it now. Just joking. Look, a lot of people will, will go through the Old Testament. They'll say, you know, um, 
tithing, the principle of tithing. Well, you know, the Old Testament had the principle of tithing, so we should give 10% following that principle. And then I've heard other people say, well, that was Old Testament, so we don't really have to do that. The fact of the matter is, because we don't really read and understand these things, we don't understand what it actually said in, in, the, in the Torah to begin with, in the, in the book of Moses. So there wasn't just a tithe in the Old Testament. There was first fruits. There was first tithe, there was second tithe, there was another first fruits, there was don't reap the edges of the corners, there was don't reap the gleanings on the ground, there was don't strip the vineyard bare, there was don't get the sheaves, don't forget the sheep, don't pick up sheaves you forgot in the field, there was give them to the poor and the stranger, there was what to do with fruit trees, there was what to do on the year of rest, there was what to do you were to Galilee, Galilee, Jubilee, there was what the poor can eat, there was no sowing, pruning, reaping, or gathering. There was um, the first fruit of your dough. There was the firstborn of animals. There was the firstborn of man. There was the first fleece of the wool. I mean, I'm not even done the whole thing. Okay? There is a principle. If you actually added it up, somebody added it up one time, and they said it was probably about 23 to 25% minimum, somewhere in that range. Not 10. Now, that's Old Testament. So people like to say, God's teaching us a lesson when we read that. What's he teaching us? Psalm 24, everything belongs to God. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. It is possible to become successful and forget the Lord our God. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Beware lest you say in my heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. So if you're giving by, by, by the fact that you're saying, well, you know, let's see how much I have. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this in fear. If you're measuring based on what's the minimum amount God wants me to give, what's the rule, then you're starting in the wrong place. Number two. The Bible says this, to whom much is given, much is expected. Luke 12, 48. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much was required. And from him whom he entrusted much, they, they will demand more. If God has given you much, guess what? It's a test. What are you going to do with it? Now, a lot of us here say, well, I'm glad God didn't give me much. Well, this is from, um, this is from Global Extreme Poverty. Most people in the world today live in poverty. 85% of the world lives on less than $30 a day. But that's, that's calculated by our dollars and our spending power. Two-thirds live on less than $10, and 10% of the world, every 10th person lives on $1.90 a day. You think you might have a little bit more than that? Do you know during the Great Depression, during the Great Depression, one of the most financially um, devastating times in this country, Christians gave 3.3% of their income during the Great Depression, and we give 2.5% now. Now, of those that do give, those that actually tithe, 77% of those believers who tithe give 11 to 20% of their income, far more than the baseline of time. They've learned something. This isn't about finding a number. It's about a heart attitude before God. It's about I've been given much. What's expected of me? What have you given me this for? The Bible says don't steal. Work with your hands that you may have something to give. Much is expected from those who have been given much. I don't know what you've been given. I don't know. 
I'm not your judge. I'm not looking. You're not going to stand before the seat of Mark. Thank God. So we're finished with this. We need to decide in our heart. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Not the heart that's deceitfully wicked, by the way. The one the Holy Spirit changes. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, I love this story. I, I, I did my undergraduate degree at, at uh, Letourneau University. And R.G. Letourneau, um, he was a, he literally, if you go read his book, Mover of Men and Machines, fantastic book. And he says this, he says he's developed this business and God called him to be God's businessman. And he dedicated his business to the Lord. Worked really hard in business, made a lot of money. And then one day he's going to his wife. He goes, we don't need all this money. God's blessed us with all this money. I say, why don't we give 50% rather than 10? And she goes, 50? We don't need 50. Why don't we live on the 10 and give the 90? He's like, oh, okay, let's do that. To this day, Laterno University exists because they did that. I don't know what the right number for you is. I'd say, you know, start with 10% if you've not done this before. That's a beginning point. That's a good place to start. But nothing is more fundamental evidence of our faith. This is my, this is a conclusion right here. Nothing is more fundamental evidence of our faith than giving. If we're not giving, we plain old don't believe God. Let me read a few scriptures. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. This is, again, not prescriptive. It's descriptive. The prophet isn't telling them this because God wants to condemn them because they're not doing something. He's saying you're operating under a world principle that does not allow you to release the kingdom of God in your midst. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delight in the land, says the Lord. It's the only command of Scripture in which God says, test me. Only place. Only place where the Bible says, test me. Every other thing, it says, thou shall not test the Lord your God. But God knows our heart. God knows our heart. He knows the heart of man and offers us the opportunity to test him on this. Look, and again, this isn't a magic genie. It's not like I give, you know, popped in my 10, where's my 100? It's a principle that when I operate with giving, I am demonstrating the posture of love. And when I demonstrate the posture of love, love will overflow in my life. The love of God blessing me, the love of God to others. If you are a giving person, who do you think God wants to bless so that you can Give. Yet you say, I've had people say, but that's Old Testament. Well, it's Bible, but besides that, let me read you two in the New Testament, because I know some people are thinking that. 
What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? No, people say, well, you know, faith and works, that's not about money. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James, just tied your money to your faith. But he's not alone. John 1, 1 John 3. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? You see your brother in need and you have no heart, you're not moved? John's saying, you're not saved. You're not saved. Little children, let us not love in word and deed, a word or talk, but in deed and truth. So we're faced with a dilemma. Material possessions are a good gift from God, meant for his people to enjoy. We, as the people of God, are called to, do, to be a good steward of everything that we can, to gain all that we can with integrity, with honesty, with righteousness. So knowing that those very things are the primary means of turning human hearts away from God. So we need to do it with the grace of giving. With the heart of giving. Lorena? Listen, no. Somebody might be saying, well, I thought in the beginning you weren't trying to guilt me or shame me. I'm not. I'm not. All I did was read scripture. This is what the scripture says. This is power of the word of God to release us bringing the kingdom of God. 